0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think.
1: Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: The chemotherapy from when I was one or two had been slowly breaking my heart down over the years, and I went into massive heart failure. They told mum at the time that if I had gone to sleep that night, I probably wouldn't have woken up the next morning. My goal in life, for as long as I can remember, has been to be an actor, to be on TV. And I still can, I will have to work twice as hard to get half as far, but recently I've I've come to the realisation that I've been whining about how much life has taken away from me, but there's nothing I can do about it except kick life in the teeth and take it all back and then some. So
1: that's what I'm going to do. Hello and welcome, I'm Mark Goodyear and this is Stroke Stories. In the UK there are more than 100,000 strokes every year. That's one stroke every five minutes and around the world there could be as many as 15 million people suffering from a stroke every year. It's often sudden and it can be a devastating illness and despite amazing work by the Stroke Association and support groups up and down the country, when I had my strokes I found out that there wasn't tons of resources that you can go to online whether you're the patient or somebody who's close to a patient. In general, the health services are amazing when the patient gets to hospital. Treatment and diagnosis is getting better all the time. But the road to recovery can be long, and so on the Stroke Stories podcast, we've been seeking out inspiring stories and visiting stroke survivors. In this second episode... Let's speak with 21-year-old HR manager Toby Dowling. In his childhood, he'd suffered a series of serious illnesses that left him vulnerable to having a stroke. From birth,
0: um, I was actually born with cancer, just completely out of the blue. Um, I, was, I went through a lot of chemotherapy and radiotherapy uh, from the age of one, and luckily they got it uh, cured, they cut it out twice. <laughs> but uh, they managed to get rid of it when I was like one and a half, uh, along with most of my kidney and the kidney bed. I was healthy-ish from then on until my 12th birthday when uh, I came down with the Parvo virus. Um, we were in Greece at the time. That was where we lived. And uh, this virus was just going around the school. Everyone thought, oh yes, yeah, just hitting him a bit harder than anyone else. But no, um, it had finished my heart off because apparently, unbeknownst to anyone, the chemotherapy from when I was one or two had been slowly breaking my heart down over the years and I went into massive heart failure. The signs were all there, but no one noticed them. I was getting more and more
1: tired. Uh, I couldn't sleep. Uh, My legs were filling up with fluid the Parvo virus had left Toby in a critical condition, and his experience in hospital proved to be terrifying for a young boy.
0: When we first got to the hospital, I was bone tired. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why Mum was bringing me here. I just wanted to go to sleep. And they told Mum at the time that if I had gone to sleep that night, I probably wouldn't have woken up the next morning. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's scary. So we got in, we waited for a doctor for a while. We went in to see him. And the Greek doctors, they have very little bedside manner. So he just walked in, looked at a chart and said, oh, he's in massive heart failure. And that was the first we heard of it. And that was terrifying to me. Just my heart has failed. I need my heart. If I don't have my heart, I'm going to die, aren't I? And I I think I remember quite clearly the only thing that I was thinking before that happened was that I was in hospital and I wasn't wearing clean underwear. (laughs) Just because my mind flashed back to all the TV shows that I watched where they said, always wear clean underwear in case you go to hospital. The aftermath of that was horrible. It was one of the worst days of my life. Just, my mum was rushed off somewhere to sign forms and make some calls and tell my brother what was going on. And they rushed me off for a bunch of tests. I had no idea what was going on. They were sticking loads of suction cups to me that really hurt. I mean, I don't know how suction cups can hurt that much, but there were 15 of them. And then, I don't know if it was the same day where they took me down to a basement to an MRI machine. They didn't give me any earmuffs, any headphones, nothing. And it was the loudest, most scary thing ever. It wasn't like an English MRI machine. This one rattled and creaked. It was ancient. So it was just yeah. But a 100 times louder, and it was terrifying. And they scanned my heart, and they said, oh, damn, he's got a, a big clot built up. And if that gets loose, he will have a stroke and he will die. And that was terrifying. I was 12. I had no idea what's going on. Yesterday I had a bit of a cold today. I'm going to die. So, uh, they, they did the best they could. They got me on a few medications, a few blood thinners, put a Hickman line to my chest so they could pump drugs in directly. Um, But uh, after about a week, um, the clots did dislodge, and I had a stroke, but I didn't
1: die. Which swings around (laughs) about. Toby's stroke came at a time when he and his family had settled down after that difficult start to life. But the other people in a patient's life can sometimes be forgotten. I wanted to know how his mum coped through such a difficult time.
0: I don't have many memories of what she was like, because she hid it from me but she's told me since just she was so angry with the doctors and just as soon as she wasn't around me she just burst into tears and didn't know how to cope because she had already been through this once well she had my brother and he was fine he was perfect uh, until he was one and a half and then she had me And I was the problem child. I was always screaming, always crying. She took me back out to hospital and said, I don't know what to do. He won't stop because I had cancer and it hurt. And then she found out I had cancer and suddenly her whole life changed and she had to be the mother of a sick child who by all likelihood was going to die. And then suddenly I didn't. And we moved to Greece and everything was great. And then I was suddenly in dire straits yet again and everything came flooding back for her. It was just horrible. We had to fly back from Greece to England and left my uh, father and brother over there so that Dad could continue work and Max could finish his GCSEs. And I had to fly back to England uh, because we needed a heart transplant and they didn't do that for children in Greece. So it was a real struggle trying to get anyone to fly me back because I had this Hickman line in with a battery powered pump hooked up to it. And they sent me home with that. And mum had to change the the liquid drugs in it herself. Just healthcare was a bit do it yourself in Greece. (laughs) So they wouldn't let us on a British Airways flight because of the tiny battery in this thing and said, you have to turn it off between takeoff and landing. And we said, we can't turn it off, I'll die. (laughs) Um, But then uh, one of our friends, uh, his father worked at Olympic Airways as a pilot, the Greek airline. And he said, yeah, come on, we'll, we'll take you, no problem. And we did. Luckily, uh, we got back to England and they found precedent of a couple of cases of this chemotherapy, um, breaking the heart down, and they had put them on this cocktail of drugs and kept the heart going for a couple of years. And obviously, the older I was, the better it would be to have uh, an adult heart because they weren't going to transplant a child's heart. That would be counterproductive. So they kept the heart limping along for five years until 2013, when I finally had it. Um, Between those five years, I was suddenly thrown back into a new country which I had no memory of, almost no memory, with a different culture different sense of humour and I was at quite a a fairly posh school in Athens and I was suddenly thrown back into a Church of England school and just I made friends but I was never really connected to them because I had had as many experiences as an 80 year old man in the space of 12 years and I just wasn't interested in anything they were talking about, so that set me apart even more. And I was really, really depressed because my family had been torn apart. I only had half my brain, half my... I had lost my hand, I could barely do anything. My goal in life, for as long as I can remember, has been to be an actor, to be on TV. And I still can, but it's going to be much, much harder. Just watch any TV show and look at them just doing everyday stuff. Tying a shoelace, uh, buttering bread, just anything. Holding a door open and unlocking a car, it's... It's not noticeable until you notice it. And I look at that and I think, I can't do any of that. Why would they hire me? And that gets a bit demoralizing sometimes. And it's just, I, have to, I will have to work twice as hard to get
1: half as far. Within a few days, Toby's life had now completely turned on its head. Having moved back to the UK, there was a huge amount of adjusting to do. He was a teenager at a new school and had to cope with the aftermath of a series of serious illnesses. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Toby explains how he dealt with the stroke emotionally. You just, you can't rush
0: your own acceptance of it. It is a massive deal and I had to come to terms with things in my own time. And he emphasises how much difference talking can make to recovery. Ask for help and don't be afraid to accept help. And I think most
1: importantly, talk. Let's hear how Toby currently feels about the illness and the daily challenges that he faces. I think I've reached a plateau where I just...
0: I've I've been depressed for a long time, but recently I've I've come to the realisation that I've been whining about how much life has taken away from me. But there's nothing I can do about it except kick life in the teeth and take it all back, and then some. So that's what I'm going to do. There have been a couple of support groups I've been recommended to but I've always steered away from them for some reason just they might have helped but I preferred not to broadcast it
1: and to deal with it myself Toby is incredibly resilient and continues to fight the stroke on his own terms let's hear a bit more about his job and how working helps him on a daily basis
0: it's just very low pressure just a lot of numbers a lot of logic a lot of yes and no questions which is nice and simple for me i find it difficult to to answer the more uh, emotional or broad questions but when there's maths problems or just data to input i can do that very well and I can notice patterns. So I like um, dealing with paperwork, setting invoices, setting payments, and making sure the business runs smoothly. That's, that's good for me. And it gives me a sense of achievement knowing that my input has helped. And also um, uh, as a part-time job, Uh, I am an extra on TV and uh, a double on a a BBC show called The Midwife.
1: Toby has gone through more health challenges in his young life than most will experience in a lifetime and yet has emerged with life goals and a positive outlook. He says talking to other people about how you feel, not bottling things up, is so important to recovery.
0: I've had loads of advice and support directed at me. And as helpful as it is, you just, you can't rush your own acceptance of it. It is a massive deal. And, like, I think I have got past my own problems. But if I gave myself the advice that I know now, if I gave that to myself 10 years ago, I, that wouldn't have changed anything. I had to go on that journey and I had to come to terms with things in my own time. And so do you and so does your family member. So I'm not sure what advice I can give except keep going. I know it's cliche, but it does get better Strokes are complicated things. Just one person might have difficulty with mental capacity. One person might be completely paralyzed. One person might have a dodgy hand. So it's difficult to give an all-encompassing bit of advice. But ask for help and don't be afraid to accept help. And I think most importantly, Talk. Talk about your emotions because this is a terrible ordeal for you and you shouldn't lock it up. I did for years and I'm still paying the price. Don't bottle it up. Find someone, anyone, who you can talk to about it. Whether it's a family member, someone at school, someone at work, or someone online. A random stranger. Just... Get it off your chest.
1: If you're listening because you've had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for the Stroke Association online. And for a dedicated NHS webpage, search for NHS Strokes. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.